Hello, welcome to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast, where it is all about helping amazing physicians just like you create a wealthy life free from burnout and with the financial security to practice medicine on your own terms. I'm your host, Dr. Elisa Zhang. Hello, and welcome back to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast. If you've been listening to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast, you know I have episodes on real estate investing and that I myself invest in real estate. A lot of financial planners won't ever talk to you about investing in real estate. And one of the reasons is that they really don't have anything to gain by investing in real estate. And they're really not all that well educated in real estate investing. Many of them are not investing in real estate themselves. So there are a lot of advantages as well as disadvantages to investing in real estate. So I thought I'd just have an episode where I go over advantages and disadvantages. Let's start with advantages, because that's always the funner thing to talk about. Real estate investing generally does have high returns, and that is something that is very attractive to investing in real estate. The value of property appreciates over time and generally keeps pace with inflation. So if you're an active real estate investor and you buy a piece of property, that property will continue to appreciate, even though you can actually depreciate it in terms of taxes, which I'll talk about a little bit more in a bit. And so rents increase over time, and rents typically will increase with inflation or even above the rate of inflation. But there are other expenses associated with your real estate that will actually not necessarily increase with inflation, like a fixed rate mortgage if you got one when you purchased the property. So that is one thing where real estate can really be a powerful tool in order to continue to have higher returns. Your return your first year of ownership is usually often your lowest year of returns, and each subsequent year, hopefully your returns are actually increasing. There's also low correlation of stocks and bonds with real estate investing, so that gives you a lot better and greater diversification of your overall investment portfolio. Again, the more diversification you have, the more you can actually weather out storms. So when the stock market is crashing and your real estate is still there doing well because it's not necessarily going to go down just because the stock market went down. The more uncorrelated investments you can have, the more steady your portfolio will be. And the more, if one component goes down, another component can be going up. And so your net worth can really stay the same. And this can help you, you know, just like, again, weather any storm that comes up. Real estate also allows you favorable use of leverage. And often you can actually borrow with low interest rates. One of the great things about borrowing with a mortgage when you buy real estate is that, yes, when you buy the property, you're kind of stuck with whatever the current rates are. But when rates go down, you can actually refinance. And if rates go up, then you get to keep your lower rate if you get a fixed rate. Now, depending on the property and the mortgage, you may not be able to get a fixed rate for all that long. With commercial property, often you can get a fixed rate for five years. But with residential properties, single family homes, small multifamilies, up to a fourplex, you can get a fixed rate mortgage that lasts 30 years. And if you're lucky and you're investing in real estate just a few years ago, you may have locked in an interest rate of as low as 3.5% on your investment real estate property, which right now is lower than inflation. So all that money you've borrowed in order to buy that property is actually decreasing in value while your property is increasing in value. So that's certainly a win-win. Often, your mortgage is going to be the highest cost 
of your real estate investment. And so when your interest rate staying the same and your payments are staying the same, that's really nice that your largest cost is actually not increasing. Now, of course, you'll have other costs that do increase with time, like the cost of utilities or the cost of contractors coming in to do work. But those costs are typically less than, again, your cost of the mortgage. And so here you have a property that's appreciating, the rents are appreciating. So you get higher cash flow with your expenses staying relatively the same or increasing, but increasing at less of a rate than your cash flow income is increasing for the property. So this is why real estate over time really compounds and that compounding of returns really leads to even higher returns over time. There are also a lot of tax advantages with real estate investing. The government allows you to depreciate buildings, which actually sets off the income from the property. So you pay less taxes on the income you're actually getting from the property. And it could even be tax-free income. You can even use a 1031 exchange, which allows a deferral of capital gains and depreciation recapture taxes with a step up of basis on your death. So if you do it right, you buy a property, you have a mortgage on it, you're depreciating it. So you're getting income that's tax-free the entire time you own the property. And then when you sell the property, you do a 1031 exchange, you go into a bigger property, you also have a loan on that property. So the income from that property is going to be more, hopefully and also tax-free. And eventually, if you keep doing this cycle, you get even larger piece of real estate with all that much larger income. And when you die, it goes to your heirs. All that depreciation gets wiped out such that your heirs are have a step up in basis, which means that like, let's say you bought your original first property for 200,000 and through appreciation and 1031 exchanges, your heirs are inheriting a $2 million property. Well, they're not paying taxes on that $1.8 million of value that you've generated over your lifetime. So you can see like how real estate can really be magical when it comes to building wealth. The other thing is that most real estate is in private hands. Most of it's not publicly traded. So that makes it an inefficient market, which you can use to your advantage. That means that even if real estate isn't in an appreciating market, you can still find a great real estate deal where you can make money on that deal. Because of the lack of market efficiency, you can use those market efficiencies to actually find that great deal. So what do I mean by that? Well, let's say you're in a market where you know, property really hasn't been increasing in value, but you could find a way to buy a single piece of property for much lower than its real value it could be someone who's just a distressed seller or someone who needs to get out. It could be a result of a messy divorce and they just need to sell quickly. And it's a market that's not appreciating. So they need to sell because no one's living in the house and they're making the payments and they just need out. And so they may go for a lower price than they may be able to get if they were able to hold on. With real estate, there's only a certain amount of inventory at a certain time. And you know, there may be someone who may be willing to pay more for that property, but they haven't seen that property. They don't know of that property. There could also be a property that has great bones, but needs a lot of work. And there are a lot of people out there who don't want to do that work. But if you're willing to do that work, you can do what's called forced appreciation. So you buy up a piece of property, a single family home, and then you put money into it to put in new bathrooms, new kitchen, new flooring, new roof, whatever it needs. And then now it's all fixed up and 
worth a lot more than what you bought it for, plus the amount of money that you actually spent for all the renovations. And if you do some of the work yourself, maybe you're putting in sweat equity. Not that you necessarily want to do that, but there is a potential for that as well. I bought a house for $33,000. It was a bank-owned house. And the land itself was really worth about $20,000. And actually, it had a great garage. And that garage itself was probably worth about $20,000. So I was really buying this house with the garage and the land for less than just the garage and the land was worth. But it was a three-bedroom, two-bath house. Now, it did need a lot of work. It had hardwood floors throughout, but they needed to be refinished. The bathroom was dated. That was all updated. Totally gutted the kitchen, put in a new kitchen, put in a new furnace, put in a new roof. So it was a lot of work that was done to the house. But after spending, I think, about $40,000 on the house, so now $33,000 plus $40,000 is $73,000. But then I sold that house for $120,000. So you can see just how much forced appreciation there was just by being willing to hire out contractors to do the majority of the work. Now, I did a little bit of the work myself, but really hired out the majority of it. Really, what I did was some of the landscaping, gardening, which I personally enjoy, and I did some painting as well. You know, and this doesn't necessarily talk about all the costs. Of course, there's holding costs, the utility costs, the cost of the money that I borrowed in order to do this. But in the end, I still made a lot of money flipping this property. You can see how if you can find a distressed house like that, that there aren't that many buyers. There aren't that many people who are willing to buy that house because a house like that, you might not even be able to get a traditional mortgage on it because it is in such a state where it's not really livable. But there are different ways to get financing, such as with something called like hard money. And and that allows you to close quickly, buy the house, even fund the rehab. It's just that it has much higher interest rates, so you really got to move fast and get the property moving. But this is really the power of real estate, that because of the fact that, again, it's an inefficient market, you can find ways to really add value and that Adding that value translates into profit and building wealth and higher returns. So now that I've got you all excited about investing in real estate, let's talk about some of the disadvantages. Well, let's just start with the fact that not everyone in the real estate industry is perhaps as ethical as the average physician. I think as physicians, yes, there are some physicians who you know, may not have the highest ethics, but we tend to have a pretty high ethical standard as physicians. In the real estate world, there's a lot of people, it's the whole normal general population. And there are some people who may be less ethical. There are also some people that just may be not so competent. And there are unfortunately some people who are out there just to make a buck, and they're willing to do it even in a way that might harm someone else. There are a lot of scammers out there. So it's always a buyer's beware and that you really have to do your due diligence. So that means when you invest in real estate, you really need to educate yourself. And there's going to be a lot of trials that you go through. There's going to be times where you lose money to something. There's going to be times where you trust someone who maybe you shouldn't have trusted quite so much. And it may not be that they were intentionally deceiving you, but they didn't necessarily know everything. They just seemed confident that they did. And so you trusted that their information was correct and maybe it wasn't so correct. I talked before about how leverage can be a good or bad thing and how it magnifies both gains and losses. So that is another potential disadvantage of real estate is that when you're highly leveraged, you can be so highly leveraged that you could have significant losses. An example of that is 
let's say you buy a property for $200,000 and you put a down payment of 20% or $40,000. Well, if something happens and you really need to sell and the market hasn't really moved, let's say you even sell it for the same $200,000. Well, now after closing costs and everything, you're actually going to end up losing money because selling will cost usually about 9 to 10% of the value of the property. So 10% is just an easy number to use. So on that $200,000 property, you bought it for $200,000, now you're selling it for $200,000, and that's going to cost you $20,000. So now you've lost half of kind of your down payment, and you may walk away with $180,000. And then you have to pay off the mortgage of the $160,000. So now you only have $20,000 left of your initial $40,000 investment losing 50% of what you initially invested. It's even possible that you lose everything that you invested, right? If you end up selling the property for less than your down payment, then you might actually have to bring money to closing in order to sell the property. This is why with physician mortgages where you can put as low as 0% or 3% down, you really may get yourself caught in a situation where if you have to move and you no longer want to keep the property that you're taking out now alone in order to just sell your primary residence. This is why you really want to watch how much you leverage yourself when it comes to real estate investing. And this is why banks generally require a 20 or 25% down payment from the buyer when it comes to an investment property. Real estate investing can also really be time intensive. If you're just buying index funds, it really takes no time at all. Get on your computer, log on to Fidelity, Vanguard, Charles Schwab, buy your stocks, you can do it in minutes. With real estate investing, you're going to have to really vet each investment. You're going to be looking at different properties. Even if you're doing passive investing through a syndication, you're still going to put time into vetting that syndication, and that can take several hours. Now, you're going to get a lot of paperwork. Typically, it's going to be probably about 30 pages of things that you want to read through, and then you want to go take a look at the market and really look at everything that's in that information you're given and validate whether it's really true, how conservative the calculations are, or how aggressive the calculations are. So everything can really be time intensive when it comes to real estate investing. Though, of course, if you're doing passive syndication investing, it is still going to be less time intensive than doing active investing where you are buying an actual piece of property. And then most real estate investments are illiquid, which means that if you need cash, if you need money, it's not that you can get all the money that you put in it out quickly. Now, sometimes you can do that by if you own a property, you could refinance in order to try to pull money out. But even that can take weeks or a month to actually get it to happen. If you invest in a syndication and you want your money back, you're not going to be able to get the money back unless you can somehow sell your shares to somebody else. And even that can be very difficult. Once you're invested in a syndication project in real estate, I mean, that money is going to end up staying there until that deal closes. And yes, I talked about before how you can get cash flow from the real estate, but it may only be a small amount compared to the money that you actually kind of have locked into that property, depending on the situation. So if you suddenly need a whole lot of money, you can't necessarily easily get it out or get it quick. Whereas with an index fund, you could sell it and get cash within one or two business days. Property really takes time and money to turn into cash. Real estate investing with all of its tax advantages also complicates taxes. If you start investing in multiple states, then you may have to file 
tax returns in multiple states. If you're investing in syndications or a real estate fund where the real estate is in multiple states, then you may be looking at that situation where you have to file multiple state tax returns. You may also be waiting for K-1s from your different real estate syndication investments. And that may mean that you have to file an extension in order to file your taxes. Real estate laws and rules vary by city, so keeping track of laws can also be time intensive. This is especially true with short-term rentals. Different rules and laws can really affect your short-term rental and how it runs, and so you really need to keep on top of the pulse of that, and that does take time as well. You also have more liability when it comes to real estate investing compared to investing in stocks, bonds, and index funds. Typically, if you're going to buy an index fund, you really have no liability. And if you're a syndicator and you're a passive investor, you don't generally have very much liability, though there could be a capital call, and so it could require you putting more money in. But if something were to happen to the property itself, you as a passive investor don't really face liability from that. But if you are actively owning property, then you do have some liability that occurs with that ownership of the property. If you have a long-term rental and it was built before 1979, and there's a family in there and the child ends up testing positive for lead poisoning, I mean, that can be a huge headache. They're in your property. And even though you may think that you were doing everything right, keeping it up, you just don't know. The child could just be chewing on the windowsill and getting lead poisoning. And now you've got a real issue of liability on your hands. And so with that, you're going to end up spending money on liability protection, forming things like LLCs. And depending on what state you live in and what state your property is in, that can also add more time as well as money, as well as your need to educate yourself on all those things. So that's another disadvantage of real estate investing compared to other modes of investing. There is expertise required for real estate investing, which means that you can add value, but it also means that you could lead yourself into loss. You could Get yourself in a situation where you didn't realize something and let's say you buy a property that you're planning on renovating and you're thinking that $40,000 is plenty to renovate it and then as soon as they start working on some things, they find more things wrong and that $40,000 renovation becomes an $80,000 renovation. There is a lot of learning that goes into real estate investing and some of it can require quite a bit of resilience as well. As I mentioned, as advantage to real estate investing, that it's not publicly traded and it's in private hands with an inefficient market. Achieving market return in real estate investing can also be difficult. So there are two sides to that point as well, right? You may actually own in an appreciating market. And so you think your property is doing great because it's in a market that's booming and the overall market is increasing by 20% every year. But maybe there's something about your property that makes it so that it's really not appreciating the same as the regular whole market is for that area. Maybe it has some quirk to it or something about its layout, something about its structure that really makes it not appreciate at the same rate as kind of properties in that area. So with all that said, how much of your portfolio should you have in real estate? Well, in general, I would say you should probably not have 100% of your portfolio in real estate. It's good to have some of your portfolio in stocks and bonds because that is more liquid. You do want some of your portfolio to be readily available to you to have money if you need it. 
Now, that being said, with real estate, you, you can pass a cash flow and then that may be all the money that you need. But again, I think it is a good idea to have some percentage of your portfolio that if you needed a, a large chunk of money, you could liquidate easily. That could be anywhere between a minimum of 20, 30, 40%. I mean, that's really up to you. The other thing is that even within real estate, there are different asset classes. You've got multifamily housing, retail, industrial, commercial real estate. So the more money you have invested in real estate, the more you may also want to think about diversifying even within real estate. And in real estate, you can also diversify by location as well as property type. Real estate will perform differently in Los Angeles versus Cleveland, Ohio. If you're an active real estate investor, you may want to have a mix of both long-term rentals, short-term rentals, or a mix of rentals in different areas, maybe class A, class B, and class C plus rentals if you're doing different classes, different neighborhoods. There's a huge amount of different ways to diversify your real estate portfolio within real estate itself. I think that's probably a good overview about advantages and disadvantages of investing in real estate. Whenever you look at all the different ways of investing in real estate, there are advantages and disadvantages to each different type as well. Going from super passive with syndications versus super active with buying properties or even development, buying land and putting a property on it. If you're really interested in real estate investing and you have no idea where to start, this is something where I do coach people on. We'll talk about all the different ways to invest in real estate, the pros and cons, what you have to learn, what you're interested in, what kind of skills are involved in each. And that's something that I do coach clients on. So if that's of interest to you, then feel free to reach out to me. We can talk about how I can help you make that decision into jumping into real estate and really do a little hand-holding into the different types of investments. I myself have invested in many different ways in real estate. I've had long-term rentals, short-term rentals. I've done property management. I've flipped properties. I've held notes, which means that I was the mortgage holder. I've invested in syndications. Feel free to set up a consultation call with me. You can do that by going to my website, growyourwealthymindset.com, and hitting the Schedule Now button. If you find that you're someone who's been reading books about real estate, reading blogs, listening to podcasts, maybe taking some courses, but you still haven't taken action and actually gone into your first real estate investment, that you feel that you're just not have the confidence to do so, maybe a little bit of handholding and coaching can get you there. Thanks so much for listening to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset podcast. Have a great week. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could share it with your friends and colleagues. And now for the disclaimer. I am not a certified financial planner, accountant, or attorney, and nothing I say should be construed as professional investment, tax, or legal advice. This show is primarily for your education and entertainment. I am a physician, but I'm probably not your physician. So if you need any medical advice, please contact your own physician. Thank you.